This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. When we did some of our own research and went out and spoke to a bunch of consumers, 86% said they're more than happy to give feedback about their experience of the business, providing one, it's quick and easy, and two, that they'll actually do something about it. And by the way, that's without any incentives. The reason we do incentives is because we put them through survey hell. <laughs> that's the voice of Michael Momsen. He's the founder and CEO of Rate It. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. So today, we're flipping the script on the show format, and instead of being joined by my co-host, Michael, right now, I'm actually going to be interviewing him on today's episode. And if you're a regular listener to this show, you'll know that Michael's company, Rate It, actually produces this podcast. And Michael has a wealth of customer experience knowledge that we've never really completely unpacked. So that's what we're going to do on today's show. So, on this episode, Michael explains how you can capture more useful customer feedback, how we can all use that to mend broken experiences. He reflects on the top takeaways from our over 30 episodes speaking to top customer experience leaders and we'll take you behind the scenes of why we created this podcast. But first, to give you an idea of what Michael's day job looks like, I asked him to explain what Rated does. Reddit simply is the easiest and most delightful way to gather what customers think and feel about their experience, knowing that it can go through to the right people to make practical changes to improve that customer experience. So, Reddit captures voice of customer feedback. It's a customer experience management tool. What problem are you solving? Well, as we know, customer experience is super important right now. Like when we were at university, we were taught to win a loyal customer. It was all about the <laughs> the three Ps, price, product and promotion. But, um, you know, all the research says it's, it's about customer experience now. And really the core challenge and the problem is that consumers really aren't sharing what they think about their experiences. If you think of the many, many experiences that you have on a regular basis, how often does the business know about it? Responses to surveys are declining dramatically. In fact, PwC put out a report saying they even predict that the death of the customer experience satisfaction survey is usually less than 3%. And businesses not knowing what customers are thinking and feeling really creates anxiety and they have to guess how they need to improve. And even when they do get the data, 85% aren't happy with the survey data, not because they don't have the data, but because they're actually not making practical changes to improve the customer experience. And so, we took a sort of fresh approach to the survey, if you will, and we start with the consumer and we think about the consumer, whether they be in a 7-Eleven store, whether they've just come out of the dentist, whether they've just had their car picked up from service and we think, okay, well, how would they want to share this feedback? How would they want to rate this uh, experience and do this in a short and easy and delightful way? And then with that data, we want to then work with the organization to make sure that they're making practical changes. And it's not just this 85-slide PowerPoint deck that they all sit around at head office and talk about every three months and then make one or two initiative changes. Like, really, you want customer huddles happening at the field level and you want a range of initiatives happening on a regular basis and you want the entire organization making these small and practical changes because that's what's going to get you the ultimate impact over time. So, before you started Rate It, how were businesses capturing or were they even capturing this feedback? What methods is this replacing? Yeah, so typically there's three main methods that organizations use to understand their customer experience. The first thing is they send out uh, a mystery shopper Mm. or they send out (laughs) someone to act like a customer and then write up a report about what that experience is. That can be helpful for auditing, but it is 
not the right tool to understand what all their customers think. Yeah, I remember I used to work in uh, fashion retail. Right. And like there's a number of problems with the, the mystery shopper. First yeah. being you can generally pick who they are straight yes. away when they walk into the store, let alone the fact that like your neighbor store has seen them half an hour before and they yes. call you up and say, hey, mystery shopper's in town. Totally. So, so, there's that problem. Yes. Um, but also it's a one piece snapshot of one staff member. And it's quite subjective to that uh, person that came in. True. But it's a snapshot in time of Correct. one interaction when you're putting your absolute best foot forward because right. you most of the time know when they're coming. Exactly. And a good example is, you know, 7-Eleven might have 50,000 customers go through their store in a month and then they've taken a needle in a haystack and then say that is the experience and, you know, benchmark it. So, that's sort of one method and we often replace um, mystery shopping. There still is a role for auditing, you know, was the right poster up? Did the person have the right name tag and things like that? The second method is you use market research. So, you send out folks that maybe do more in detail focus groups uh, or interviews and what have you. And again, these can be helpful to understand like customer demographics and things like that, but they're not really a good snapshot, again, of all the customer experiences that are happening. And the third method, and the one that most organizations therefore rely on, is effectively survey blasting tools. So, they'll create a survey and they'll blast it out. Mm -hmm. And these can be helpful when you know who the customer was, but there are also many, many scenarios where you don't know who the customer is. So, we sort of think of those as like known customers and known experiences and unknown. And so, it will never be able to capture the unknown. And then the challenge with those surveys is they're usually written with what the business wants to know and they write a, all the annoying questions that they want. What did you think of our lighting? What did you, you know, how many times did you go to our website? How many times did you... And everyone gets in around the room and like asks all their yeah, every you know, department questions. has their right. input and you end up with a 100 question survey that takes two hours to fill out. And then the actual survey experience themselves are usually these, you know, quite annoying experiences just visually how they show up. They're very text-based. They're yeah. not very emotive. They're not easy. Uh, they're not sort of like delightful experiences. Mm. No one goes, oh, I really enjoyed filling in that survey. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember um, in the past I've filled out uh, surveys and I know that if I answer yes to a question that uh -huh. it's going to give me a subsequent follow-up on the next page. Right. So, I'll answer no so that I get less questions. Like, right. I'm, I'm trying to hack the survey because I know what it's going to do. I love that. So, <laughs> my favorite thing is when they go, oh, this will only take 20 minutes to fill out. <laughs> Like, why, why am I going to spend 20 minutes on this thing? Um, and for no result, right? Like, it's not even you're offering me anything. Right. And so, not only is the survey experience itself a really shitty experience uh, for the consumer, we have high levels of skepticism and rightly so that it's actually going to do anything. And so, we're like, it's just going to mm. go into this black hole. Like, are you really going to do anything with this thing? And so, therefore, like, you know, when we check out of a hotel and we get that survey, most of us just ignore it. And so, this survey fatigue... And with, you know, the increase of these survey blasting machines, I call them, you know, they're blasting record numbers of surveys out, but then we're tuning out from them more than ever before. And so, therefore, it sort of creates this new problem of these traditional survey blasting machines aren't getting fully utilized and it's not getting a good snapshot of all the customers. And to be honest, like a lot of the most high value customers are not going to fill these out. <laughs> it may be, you know, the lovely retiree couple, um, you know, have lots of time in their hands and they, they have got 20 like, minutes. Yeah. yeah and, they, and they got they got two emails that day. Oh, like great, like <laughs> an email. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna fill this in. Um and so it's not a good representation across all your customer segments, let alone your your highest value ones. And so like we believe in flipping the model and going, how do we create something that is really truly delightful and actually something that a customer should be able to walk away and say, oh, I really enjoyed giving feedback. Like that was a great experience. I really feel like that company genuinely cares about how I feel. And 
most importantly, is actually going to do something about this. Like this isn't going to go into this black hole. And so we put a lot of attention into both visually how it shows up and how it looks and how it feels. And it's not just text-based, but also like getting the copyright. So saying... Thanks so much for that, Adam. Just letting you know, like our management team reads every response. So, you kind of go, well, shit, like if I'm going to fill this in, you're actually going to do something about it. And then obviously, we then um, spend the time to work with our customers, so Reddit customers, to ensure that they uh, fulfill on that promise as well and that they're actually, you know, closing the loop and they're going back. And we think like that doesn't always have to be real time, but how powerful is it? I actually think it's probably more powerful than the best marketing campaign, if you went somewhere to a store and you say, hey, it was really annoying that you didn't have XYZ product or this particular issue and you get a somewhat generic response going, yep, no worries, just letting you know, management team has read it, thanks so much. And then imagine like seven months goes by and then they send you a note saying, hey, Adam, just letting you know when you gave us that feedback about that XY thing, like we've actually implemented some programs to solve that. I just want to thank you because you were together with a bunch of other customers gave us that feedback and we've now improved that because of, you know, like you'd be like, holy shit, like these guys genuinely care and they've made changes. That's probably more valuable than them spending $5 million on a TV ad. Yeah, totally. It's almost so good that it's unbelievable. Right. <laughs> like it's, I don't I don't know that anyone could actually do that. It's uh, not so. hard. Like I mean, like it's practically not hard. You just need to tag bits of feedback and say these were the themes, like let's bucket up into these five initiatives and let's go back to our customers and tell them that we fixed those things uh, or we are working on those areas and we've made improvements. Um or even like hey, you you dinged us on like wait times. Like we're totally aware of that. Just letting you know in the last six months, we've actually improved wait times by thirty odd percent. Next time you have an experience with us here, we'd love to to hear if you think we've improved as well. Yeah, that's that's great. As a customer, you go, oh, someone actually listened right. uh, and did something about it. So, that's great. So, one thing you've mentioned a couple of times, Michael, is uh, that Reddit has a very customer-centric mm. uh, view of gathering feedback. Yes. And I think that's really interesting. So, let's dig into that a little bit. Why is it that you think so much about the end consumer when really they are not your customer? Your mm. customer is, you know, the retailer or the bank or whoever, mm. um, but you're thinking about their customers. So, mm. two steps removed. Yes. Why is that? It's a good question. If you think of Google, Google don't say our mission is to create the world's best advertising machine that has the best pivots on demographic data so you can target customers better than ever before. That's what we wake up and we live about. (laughs) Practically, that's what they do and practically, that's what Facebook does. Yes. Um, But, you know, that's not really their mission. Like, that's not what, what drives them. That's not what inspires them. And so, for us, it's the same. Like, we believe if we start with the consumer, then not only will we give them the empowerment to be able to improve their customer experiences and make a difference, we ultimately over time will end with the best data for the business. And then if we help them make that practically come to life, then they'll get the, a better outcome than if they'd sent the long annoying survey and they only had 3% of people respond. So, you're more impact or outcome oriented really. Right. So, we've got a really good understanding now of kind of the vision of Reddit and the problem that you're trying to solve. So, practically and physically, what does the product actually look like? Right. So, there's two primary methods. One is what we call physical rating. So, this is where our app uh, is often running on a tablet or maybe running on a phone uh, in a certain location. And then the second method is digital. So, this is where you might give feedback by SMS or by email or even in a Facebook chatbot, etc. So, we started our journey with physical in-the-moment feedback because this was an area that we saw really underserved. And in terms of practically how it works, so we have uh, an app that runs you know, on a tablet, on a beautiful stand. It may sit on a counter. It may 
be by the door, so maybe on a floor stand. And we put a lot of effort in making even just that visually look really beautiful. So we didn't want this sort of industrial looking <laughs> thing that was chained up uh, saying, please fill in this survey. You know, like even that is aesthetically pleasing to put in any scenario, yeah. whether it be in a 7-Eleven or in a KFC or, you know, we're even in Mulberry stores or Calvin Klein stores or, yeah. you know, some very, very high it's, end. It's very approachable, mm. The, mm. the actual physical product, because the first thing you see is the four smiley faces. Right. And they're very colourful against like this white background. And you yes. go, oh, what are these? What are these colourful smiley faces? Exactly. And we're actually rating experiences more than ever before, whether it be an Uber driver does something great or doesn't, or, you know, at the end of a Netflix to say, you know, that was a good show or, you know, the end of an Airbnb, you know, we're providing these micro bits of ratings all the time. And so, when someone sees these smileys and they go, oh, I don't mind, you know, if, if it's going to take me less than 10, 15 seconds and you're actually going to do something about it, sure, like I'll, I'll give some feedback while I'm here. And you're capturing it while they're in the moment. And I think that's probably one of the most important things about customer experience is that ultimately customer experience is what someone feels. And so, therefore, you want to capture emotion and you want to capture how people are feeling about that experience. And so, you know, starting with some nice smileys is a good way to kick that off. We often then capture NPS. So, you know, ask them how likely that I recommend, which is, you know, the gold standard in measuring customer loyalty. And then depending on what the customer, like as in the business, is trying to achieve, like we'll have a, a short set of questions around that. So, as an example, they may want to understand what's driving customer loyalty right now. So, they want to know, well, why would my NPS go up and why would it go down? And I want to get some context around that. So, then we might have a couple of questions around that. Uh, another example is I want to understand if we're going beyond customer expectations all the time or are they purchasing everything that they planned while they're here? And if not, well, why was that? Yeah, so like the experience after the smileys and MPS, you know, will change, but it'll be nice and short and snappy and it'll be very much around what um, the customer in the moment wants to share. What I think is really interesting is you engage the the end consumer with right. this kind of thing that feels fun, right? The the colorful smiley faces. And I'm just thinking from my like marketing background, the power of, you know, if you can run analytics on how friendly was the service right. or did we have enough stock or was the store clean and tidy? Right. Like which of those three questions are driving the NPS or the smiley at the start. Yes. And so, you can build an understanding of, you know, in what frame, uh, at what time of day or so, um, what day of week, what sort of things are important to customers that will make them recommend that experience to somebody else. Yes, totally. And, you know, like which particular staff members or, you know, team members are doing well, etc. And that's in a retail context. Um, we actually spend more and more of our time outside of retail now these days in healthcare and government services and you know there's a range of new verticals where it's so important to get that customer experience right at every moment. The last thing that I'll mention on the like physical tablet side, um, like where there's an app in location, is that as soon as you put a screen in a public place, one of our first challenges that we realized is that kids can just go up and start mucking around with it. Right. Um, or one of our customers started having $50 vouchers for team members that got great service, you know, regularly. And so, then- They're just could, rating themselves yeah, and getting could, the- Right. Oh, geez, Susie's got uh, $5,000 of vouchers no, exactly, this week. Exactly, exactly. Oh and so, the way that we, we, we've <laughs> solved this uh, uniquely, actually, is that we use the front-facing camera and we run some pretty sophisticated validation techniques using biometrics and a few other things. We don't compromise privacy. We don't save photos. But we can basically see, hey, this is male, 32, has this unique ID, um, hasn't come in, you know, with multiple ratings today 
this looks, you know, valid and legit. And without having to ask demographic information, we also assign that with it. So, like, there's some pretty clever things going beyond, you know, just sort of, oh, it's just a, a nice simple smiley app. There's a good level of intelligence that's running behind the scenes there as yeah. well. So, I knew about the problem of, you know, kids and staff members right. messing with the ratings, but I didn't know the level of detail that you guys have gone to to actually solve that. So, yes. that's that's really fascinating. Yeah, no, exactly. And then the second part of what we do, which is a new element for us that we've just recently launched, is effectively digital ratings. And this is where you could connect it to your CRM or, you know, your point of sale or your systems. And then after a particular event, we would send out an email or an SMS to get a quick rating about that experience, including NPS. And it's the same experience that we have on the, the tablet. So, it's that same easy to use delightful experience the thing we've taken a unique approach instead of this like hey we'd love to hear what you think like please fill in this survey which we all you know tune out from we've actually taken those signature beautiful smileys and integrated that directly into the email or what have you so they just right. have to tap on that and then it works really well on their phone straight away and then the new things which i'm really excited that we're working on is a facebook chatbot where you can just add rate it to your facebook messenger and you can rate any experience. <laughs> so, if you go to uh, McDonald's and something doesn't go quite well, uh, you can just pick where you are like, and go boom, boom, boom and give some quick feedback either in a conversation or in the app. And we will then deliver that feedback through to the right people and we'll send you back a notification to say we've delivered that bit of feedback to the right people at head office. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And then finally, I think you know that's great in terms of getting lots of consumer data. I think the real impact comes in how do you take all that customer feedback and ensure that it's connected culturally um, in the business to make sure that you're making changes. And so, this is something that we invest a lot in to ensure that if you become a customer of Rate It, we don't want you just having a big PowerPoint deck at the end of the month. We want to help you activate this and drive the right cultural changes, including like, hey, here's a tip how to run a customer huddle. <laughs> you know, take this data and, you know, have a conversation with your team. You know, here's all the customer feedback that came through. And one of the things that we learned was not everyone logs into web portals on a regular basis. So, how do you summarize this stuff automatically in email reports to the right people? And so, we've got that happening as well. And then something that we find really valuable is being able to benchmark yourself against others in your industry. So, it's great that your NPS is 42, but how does that relate to others in the industry? Um, and what are some things that you should be thinking about working on? So, because we now have a large data set across a range of customers, we can do some of this cohort analysis and benchmarking, which is a really, really powerful element to setting goals and looking to increase your customer experience that way. And I want to jump into data in just a second, but one final question before we do. A problem that often happens in the industry with regards to surveys, particularly whether it's in-store or digital, is that they're usually very polarizing. Mm. Only the most enthusiastic people or the most pissed off people <laughs> fill the damn thing out. And yeah. you miss this whole middle ground. Right. So, it's not actually a real representative sample of the whole marketplace. It's just those people who are raving about or hating on your product or your business. So, how do you overcome that problem? What we found interesting is that we can get such a high level of response rate. The reason for that is that when we did some of our own research and went out and spoke to a bunch of consumers, 86% said they're more than happy to give feedback about their experience at a business, providing one, it's quick and easy, and two, that they'll actually do something about it. Right. And by the way, that's without any incentives. Like, you don't even need to... The reason we do incentives is because we put them through survey hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we know we're about to put them through survey hell, and so we're begging them for their time. We'll give you a $500 gift voucher for people who fill out 
out the survey. Right, yeah. but we all have an opinion, right? Like if I, as you walk away from something, I'll say, well, what did you think about that? Or how did you feel? Like you don't, you're not like completely neutral every mm-hmm. time. Like you yeah. have, a, or you might have a little tip to go, do you know what? Like they could actually improve things if they did this. Or do you know what? I would have spent more money if they had this. Or like, do you know what? Like the way that, you know, my bank just did that was actually pretty annoying. The challenge is that there's no easy way to connect what you think to the right people to make sure that they can make a difference. So the problem is not the survey. The problem is the fact that it's not being asked in a way that is a conversation. It's please fill in this annoying form. And so the way that we think about it is that the survey industry is effectively paper forms on a website and it's like someone sending you three stacks of bits of paper and say, can you fill this out for me? No, fuck (laughs) off. Like, why would I fill that out for you, right? Yeah. Where if someone says, hey, let's have a conversation and it's like we're actually going to try to improve here and you dynamically change the questions depending on that conversation and it feels empathetic and it feels like you're going to make a difference, then, well, of course, I'm happy to quickly tell you what I think. So, I think one of the really great powers that you've described there is that you're capturing the right feedback at the right time and it's fairly trustworthy and, right. and, and it's really easy. Yes. And you've mentioned something a couple of times about getting the feedback to the right people. Yes. So, how do you ensure that the right person gets that feedback? I think there's two parts to it. Like one is actually ensuring and helping an organization as we onboard them uh, and to give them some practical tips because this is where the hard stuff actually happens, right? I think, well, I think it's hard getting lots of good customer feedback and ensuring that it's a delightful experience and it's not an annoying experience. So that's sort of step one. But like step two is then the, the hard work then begins in connecting the dots. And that's why this show exists partly is because actually this stuff is like really fucking hard and it's yeah. actually quite complicated. And the larger you are, the more complicated it is actually. So one is actually helping them connect it to the right people. And actually, you know, we're not a consulting company, but it will often mean that we'll teach them how the best way to start using and actioning this data. So, one thing is ensuring that they have that bit set up correctly. And what you'll find is actually, particularly in some medium to large size organizations, they will actually see those themes and maybe they start working on it, but they never go back and tell you. Right. <laughs> so, therefore, the skepticism is there that you've never seen any difference, right, so you right. don't even know. So, like I think the magic then becomes the third piece, which is then kind of like, truly closing the loop, not just in replying to you when you've given that thing, but going back in time and saying, we've actually made some changes here and we put some effort in. Um, because you never hear that, you just assume that they haven't done right, anything. Right, right. So, there's the, the capturing of the feedback. There's the getting it to the right person internally. There's the fixing the actual problem or, right. or whatever it is. And then there's getting back to the customer. Yes. So, closing that circle again. Yeah, to letting them know that you've made some improvements. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it doesn't even have to be, hey, sorry, we mucked something up. Here's right. a $50 voucher or whatever. Because fixing the problem is a part of building a really strong relationship with right. somebody. And it's not just that once-off problem, it's about building loyalty uh, for the long term. And I think, you know, if you if we sort of go back to the brands that are doing it well, it's not just that they've made a nice brochure or that they've given good training or that they've got a nice vision statement. Yes, they have like all those things. It's because they really get that. Like they really get that it's a relationship. Lexus really understands that it's a relationship. Like, you know, Qantas really understand th- that it's a long-term relationship. And that's why you have these things like lifetime value we were talking to a guy who runs a, a, a Battery World uh, franchisee store and he was saying when someone comes in, he doesn't just think of that customer as a $50 transaction. He sees them as a $2,000 transaction. They may only buy a $50 product now, but he sees the lifetime value of that customer. And so, it's again investing in the relationship. So, Michael, welcome to the quickfire round. <laughs> This is a bit meta for us. It does feel funny. You're very familiar with how this works, but it's the first time you're on the other side. So, for those listening, the way this works is uh, we have a range of 
rapid fire questions and Michael, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to answer each. If you go over the limit, we'll bring the buzzer out. And I know you like to go over the limit. (laughs) (laughs) So your time will start at the end of the first question. All right, let's do it. All right. So first question, what brand do you look to as an example of great customer experience? Mm. Well, I mean, Apple is king of the hill for so many reasons, but some other great brands that I really love interacting with, uh, Lexus, I think National Australia Bank are doing a good job, Qantas actually, um, Pandora is one of our customers and on the software side, I think HubSpot um, is really outstanding. What did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> NBA basketball player, which <laughs> makes no sense for my height. <laughs> how, how tall are you? Uh, 175 centimeters or something, so it's not, not okay. That tall. Yeah, you, you, that was never going to happen to crush your dreams. Um, and then after that, it was going to be like the next Nirvana, and so that didn't happen either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> NBA rock star. What was yeah. the next one? Movie movie star. I actually did aspire to be an entrepreneur of some sort. Um, I didn't know what that was going to be, but yeah. What job did you learn the most in? Probably my time at McDonald's, actually. Like, I was 18 and I was the manager of a city store. And I, I look back on that and go, oh, my God. Like, they had an 18-year-old in charge of, like, 20 teenagers to run a multi-million dollar store <laughs> to run everything. Just goes to show how, how well you can run something with, you know, systems and processes and great training, actually. Um, but, yeah, so many great fundamental things from my time at McDonald's. What skill are you terrible at? Any handyman work. <laughs> okay. Like, I, I literally outsource the clipping of, like, garden hedges and things like mm-hmm. that. I just both can't be bothered and don't enjoy it. What book has made the most impact on your life? Uh, I mean, I, I have so many, but the, the one that stands out the most is Principles by Ray Diallo. But there really is a book for every moment in time Uh, so when I was a teenager I think how to win friends and influence people really made a big influence on me just in terms of oh I get it it's about listening and shining the spotlight on the other person and actually it's actually not all about me so I think yeah I can point to different moments in time I think when I went out to go start a new company the lean startup by Eric Reese like was a a huge impact so sort of hard to pick one for everything because it's almost like at each chapter (laughs) in my life there's what big ones stand out but if I had to pick one and hang my whole hat on it would be principles who's someone that you really admire one would be Elon Musk not just because he's doing so many big cool things revolutionizing industries from car to space to boring uh, holes and tunnels but just because he's so bold with his vision right like he just says fuck it like we should go to Mars and humanity deserves to be an interplanetary species and I'm going to build these companies to make profits so we can go to Mars. So, it's pretty hard not to admire that. And the second person is actually my wife, Annie, which is a lovely and sweet, nice call out, but I deeply mean it. She lives by this ethos of making all small and big decisions around second and third order consequences and I just have so much respect for that. And the second thing is she's taught me how to be truly self-reflective and self-aware, which means that I just keep getting better and better. So, I admire her so much for that. That is really lovely. And finally, to round it out, what is your guilty pleasure? (laughs) This one's easy. I don't have... 
I don't have many because I've dwindled down all my guilty pleasures, like news apps on my phone, and like I've deleted and all. And so I'm only down to one thing that's really a true guilty pleasure, which is Reddit on my Apple TV, sitting on my couch browsing through <laughs> the front cover of Reddit, uh, is uh, is my number one that's guilty pleasure. I didn't see you as a Reddit kind of guy. Yeah, it's funny because I only only do Reddit on Apple TV. There's something about having it on the big TV screen in your lounge room that's very indulgent. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to ask now about data, and we've spoken a little bit about, you know, this huge aggregate amount of data that Reddit has been able to catalogue across a whole range of industries, across a whole range of geographic regions, across a whole range of different customers. And so that's really powerful, right? What have you learned from that about what actually drives great experiences, delightful experiences? Mm. So often it comes back down to the people, right? I've got this this saying that I say often to uh, the team internally is like every business is a people business. Um, even if it's not people on the front line, it's still a, a people business. And so, so much of feedback relates to both good and negative people at the core of things. But if we take something like retail as an example, I think what's interesting that we've learned in retail is that about 25% of people who come into a retail environment are there actively there to buy. And so, not everyone necessarily, you know, they may just be killing time, they may just be researching for a future transaction. I think what's interesting is when people don't make a transaction, well, why is that? And when we look at our data, about half, it's about 50%, it comes down to customer experience and it often comes down to something people-related. So, they weren't proactive, like they didn't have the right knowledge, they you know weren't helpful. And then there's other times where it's just systems. It was hard to find what I was after, um, etc. But 50% is overall customer experience. The other things like you didn't have a particular product or I thought the price was a bit expensive is actually you know less so. So, it's amazing now how important customer experience genuinely is in driving you know greater purchases. I think the other thing that we've, we've found quite interesting in the data is when people do make transactions, why is that? And one of the things that surprised me was that one of the major reasons people spend more than they had planned was because they were in a good mood. <laughs> and I actually never thought about helping your customers be in a good mood. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, you know, again, there's people and scenarios and environment that can help create that. But it's actually like, it's not price or promotion that drives the major reason why they spend more. It's back to, again, like how people are feeling. <laughs> and you can influence how people are feeling just like in any any relationship, right? Um, you want to be around people that are positive and helpful and, you know, these things. And so, we were quite amazed and even in the conversations with our customers, they can say like they can move, you know, management teams around or area management around and the product is exactly the same. The price is exactly the same. The environment's exactly the same, but sales go up. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it's actually just amazing how much you can increase spend by, you know, really helping your customers um, feel better. It's interesting because I think in a logical sense, we kind of understand that people do drive a lot of the experience that we have with with the brands that we shop at. But it's nice to hear that that's also backed up with the data, yes. right? The immediate obvious follow-on from that is how do you get your staff to deliver a better experience? How do you improve the people part of that equation? Well, I mean, we've covered this so much in the podcast, right? And I think a lot of it comes down to hiring the right people at the start and you therefore need leadership and values in place to genuinely have customer experience as a core focus, you know, as opposed to I just need to make more sales and we was hire any kind of body. And so, getting the right people at the start with a service-orientated mindset. Then I think it's about building the right processes and support in place for that because uh, good people on their own 
just can't get the job done if they don't have the environment and the processes and the support mechanisms to support it. So, what's an example of that? I think you can take any organization that does this well and you can often boil it back down to they've just got great processes and systems in place. Like if Apple can take a 22-year-old kid finishing uni and put them in a store a month later and deliver outstanding customer experience, then of course they made the right hire and it was a great person, but they've put them in an environment with the right processes and procedures and systems uh, to be able to enable that. You know, I think back at my time at McDonald's and, you know, 18-year-old kid running an entire store, millions of dollars in sales over time and the right processes and systems enabled that, right? And so, I think you've got the right processes and systems in place and then I think the next thing you then need to do is you need to measure it ultimately. Like it's the whole what gets measured gets managed and what you measure improves. And so, therefore, you need a great way to measure your customer experience every day. (laughs) You look at revenue numbers every day. You look at a whole bunch of metrics. You know, it is crazy the amount of businesses that are completely reactive to customer experience and are not measuring customer experience every day. Now, it may sound like that's a complete rater plug. Well, of course, that's what we do. But honestly, you could use anything. <laughs> like, uh, like have a crack at anything. Just start measuring customer experience on a, on a daily basis and have best effort to get some actual data um, to rally, you know, the team. And, and, and when you make system changes and when you make training and when you do improvements, you should be able to look back at the data and see if we improve it. And then finally you need to have an ongoing system of training and learning and then kind of going through that that repeat. I think, you know, the episode with with Nancy and uh, Dominique and Jocko and all these guys, you know, really reinforced this importance of training is not just a quarterly event. It's not just this one-off thing. It's this ongoing development uh, that culturally has to be part of it. So, when you put all of those things together, then that's how you ensure people are delivering great services consistently because you could hire a superstar who is very good on their own but you ultimately you need to systematize it to ensure that you're delivering it consistently and honestly like that's why this stuff is hard yeah like it's hard to get all this stuff right it's hard to get the leadership right because you know i know what it's like being leader there's a gazillion things going on and it can be easy to all of a sudden go actually we just need to hit this number like let's kind of compromise on these things so like getting the leadership stuff right and actually truly caring about customer experience you know is not seen everywhere hiring the right people honestly it's a lot quicker just to hire the next warm body that comes along <laughs> so that's hard and that takes effort right and then building the processes you know that that is an ongoing thing and that that's difficult and then putting measurement systems in place and then doing that and then ongoing training uh, and learning so Putting all these things together uh, and the framework for it, you know, is why we have this show, frankly, because otherwise everyone would just be doing great customer experience. Yeah. It feels like a nice little summary that you've given of our like past 30 or something episodes (laughs) of customer experience (laughs) leaders, you know, leadership, hiring the right people, having the right systems, having, you know, a measurement system for making sure that's all working and then ongoing training. Um, So, there's kind of like these five pillars. And what about your your customers, your clients? What's the kind of persona of someone who engages with Rated? Yeah, it's interesting. Like we've got a good mix, retail, healthcare, government, finance, automotive. There's, there's, and actually, one that's popping up more and more is actually um, tourism services, actually. So, like Singapore Zoo and a few others. What we typically see is that they are organizations that are truly trying to make customer experience improvements. And each customer is at a different stage in their journey. Like if I take someone like Pandora or a Fitness First or a Calvin Klein that we work with, they're, they're doing great. Like they're, they're doing really, really well. 
or there's another uh, customer of ours, Pigeonhole, we had Johan on the show, you know, early on as well. And they really just get a lot of this stuff right. But yet they are thriving customers of a house because, you know, they're not happy unless they're constantly improving, you know, they're wanting to get better. And then there's, there's a range of other organizations that are maybe a little bit more early in their journey. And it's the first time that they've even got customer experience data or that they've even like worked with feedback or they look at themselves and say, do you know what? We don't really have a culture of great customer service. We've been too sales driven or we've been too process driven and we want to commit to this stuff and we want to you know, get this better. So yeah, we take a, a range of customers across that journey. I think the one common thread throughout is that they really care about this stuff. And, you know, I'm a big believer in the Seth Godin, you ideally want to have customers, you know, who believe the same things that you believe. And so, like, if we sort of say, look, we're not just here to sell you some software and run away, we actually really want to help you make your customer experience better. And it's actually one of the things behind this podcast as well is like, you know, I mentioned National Australia Bank, they're not a customer of ours. But if there was a team of 20 folks at National Australia Bank that were like listening to this and or taking some of Radit's content and improving, then we've fulfilled our mission. <laughs> you know, what we're about is to actually, you know, we are truly purpose-driven ourselves, which is we want to give everyone the power to be able to make their customer experience awesome. And whether that's you as a consumer, we want to give you the power to be able to, you know, rate it, to be able to make your future customer experiences great. Or if you work at an organization on the storefront, the Pandora guys log into the you know, Rate It portal at lunchtime and look at their customer experience and their customer feedback and they have a little huddle and they talk about what they could do better. Great, like Rate It's giving them the power to make that customer experience better. Or if you're at head office and you're trying to run some initiatives and you're trying different things, you're not quite too sure what's working, we want to give them the power to be able to make the customer experience great. And of course, it would be nice that they're in a commercial relationship with us <laughs> you know, while we're empowering them. But even if they're not, that's fine. Like We are genuinely purpose-driven and so that's why this podcast, we put a lot of effort into it to make sure that it's hyper practical and it's not jargon filled and we take time in you know making the edits sound great and get the right guests and so forth because this is all part of our purpose which is helping people make their customer experience really awesome. So a bit of a weird question Michael I, I want to ask which is why the name rated? <laughs> the fussy design experience geek in me actually doesn't like the name. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, it's not a beautiful sounding name, right? I watched the founder, you know, the McDonald's one. He's uh, like, yeah, yeah, McDonald's. Yeah. Like, just listen to the name. It's beautiful, McDonald's. I, I don't feel that same way when I hear Rate It. What I love about it and the reason I chose it was that I love businesses, especially when you're early and you're a new startup, right? Is that ideally the business name should say what the service is. And when we deal with an organization, they're not going to remember. I can't think of a forgettable name right now <laughs> right right like uh, i mean like hubspot is a weird name for a business right like there's no meaning behind yeah, it. yeah like just unless, a unless when word. you become big and then it's like oh that, that that's a great name because you know the brand has become big but when you're small and you're starting out i like brands that like ship it is also a good one right like they're a local startup that aggregates couriers and help you ship it <laughs> so oh, that's what i want and if you think about it like the name is also reflective of the approach that we take, which is starting with the consumer, yeah, you know, and yeah. rating it, it's not analytics, data, systems, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's around the customer, and you know, rating is not surveys. Like rating is something that's short and it's quick, and it's what the consumer wants to do um, in the moment. And so, actually, the backstory and the idea for rate it was exactly that. It was that I was working for Microsoft. I was living in Singapore at the time, and. I needed to buy a bunch of new work shirts and I went to a department store 
and I was just going to do this annual refresh. I was going to buy like 10 business shirts at once. And I remember just getting pretty average customer service and she wasn't particularly helpful. And I went to the counter and I was like, I'll bugger this. I'll just buy these two and walk out. And I sort of mumbled under my breath going, this is a pretty shitty experience. And and I had a bit of a moan about it to you know my wife. And I remember just thinking, man, I'm not going to go to their website and fill out a feedback form card <laughs> about this. I'm not going to go to Facebook or Twitter and complain on social media. You know, I don't want my name publicly shown and it's not that a big issue in the scheme of things. And even if they had my email details, which they didn't, and they sent me an email, like I'm not going to fill out one of those annoying surveys because, you know, it's just going to go into this black hole of nothingness. And so, I remember thinking there should be an easy way for me to be able to give feedback about this experience Ideally, while I'm in the moment, knowing that it will go through the right people uh, make a difference. And my original idea for it was, well, I should just be able to rate it. <laughs> like, I should just be able to rate this experience right now. Uh, so, <laughs> screw it. I'm just going to build an app and I'm going to call it Rate It and we'll put it in the App Store and anyone can download it and rate their experience. And the first thing that I did when I had this idea other than tell everyone that I know going, this is absolutely going to be huge. Like, it is going to be the next TripAdvisor. <laughs> like, I am, a, you know, I am the next... Uh, you bought you bought your Ferrari already. <laughs> Deposits <laughs> been laid down. And- well, more, more just that, like, I talked to people about this problem. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that'd be a great app, you know, and you get the echo chamber of yeah, mum. Yeah. It's like, oh, Mike, that's a great idea. Yeah, like, that will definitely take over the world. You should absolutely do it. What most people do is when they have a startup idea like that, most people then go out and then start building the thing. But... I was like, well, I've never done this before. Like, I haven't, you know, built an app in a startup. So, we mocked up some designs of the app. Uh, it was a consumer app to put in, in the app store. And then I went into LinkedIn and I reached out to 100 people that I didn't know. and said, hey, like, you run, you know, this business. I have got this startup idea. I'd love to shout your lunch. So, I showed them the app and then I showed them the portal. And then they were like, well, that's a good idea, but... Unless you've got millions of people using this app, <laughs> we're getting lots of ratings. Like, you know, we wouldn't, like, we wouldn't really use this. And I was like, ah, oh, of course. Like, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, one that of the, one the, of the ladies. You don't realize the, the simple flaws in your ideas until you start showing people. Right. <laughs> and so, our first customer, who's still our customer now, Children's Showcase in Singapore, she said, well, actually, I was thinking of building a post box in my store and people could write like a letter to the owner because I'm opening more stores and I don't get much customer feedback. So, if you could put this app in our store, that would be great. And so, then I was like, okay, uh, have you got your credit card details handy? <laughs> and I actually took uh, payment details before we even built the app. Right. And so, then I was like, oh, shit, there's something here. Like one, people are resonating with this problem not the consumer version, but starting with the business one. And they're willing to put money for me to come back in three months' time when I have an app. And that's the birth of Rate It. So, what I want to finish on uh, is just having a quick chat about this podcast and why it exists. So, for a little bit of context, maybe before I throw over to you, Michael. So, I run a business called Wavelength and, and we create podcasts for businesses. And so, I don't work for Rate It, but we partnered together with Rate It to create this podcast. And, you know- Can all- I tell the story? Well, yeah. All right. Sure. Like, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, let's, let's rewind the clock a couple of years ago and tell me what it was all like. All right. So, this is how Adam and I know each other. So, a few years ago, when Rate It was early in their journey- I realized that we needed someone for marketing and we needed also someone for customer success. And so, I trolled LinkedIn for someone who might be a good fit and <laughs> Adam's profile came up. Uh, you had a very, very impressive profile as a digital strategist at a, at a leading agency and you had all sorts of things on the go. And I thought, this guy looks pretty good. 
and uh, I tried to recruit. <laughs> I tried to recruit you, and um, you said I'm not taking your Pavo startup salary. That's uh, I, I've, I've, I earn way much more money than than what you can pay me right now. So we we, we stayed in touch, and you know, all good. I don't know, it's like like two or three years ago now. And there was a couple of years between that and kind of... Um, yeah, and like we kind of kept chatting like every now and then. And then I got this email from you um, which said, I'm thinking of starting a, uh, a podcast agency or I'm thinking of like helping businesses, you know, get a podcast up and running. And then you called me and, you know, we started basically just like riffing on how important podcasting is and like geeking out over all of it. And then <laughs> at the end, I remember we just go, fuck it, let's just do a podcast. Let me be your first minimal viable product to use a lean startup. Uh-huh. And I've been looking and I don't think there's that many great customer experience podcasts out there. They're all like agency and like fill with lots of jargon and like they're really long form and you know I'm trying to personally get better at customer experience and like, I want to be on my A game and I'm struggling to like find great content mm. fuck it like let's build something together I'm actually interested in why you wanted to make a podcast and why the podcast is the format that it is now the, f- the first layer is that when you think about good marketing ultimately you should be creating content that is very helpful for people and connect and you build a relationship um, through that. And to get a good podcast is actually really hard. And I knew that what would happen, like with blogging, that there would be this proliferation of people just going, oh, well, I can turn on a microphone and I can create a podcast. This sounds like fun. And we are seeing more and more of that. But what's happening is the good ones are getting so freaking good. Like if you look at like stuff that Gimlet Media is doing and, you know, NPR and like even all the traditional media agency and the new agencies and then companies like us that are doing podcasts, the reason these podcasts are so good, like to give you a bit of a sneak peek behind the scenes is like we may have an interview with someone that, that can often go for an hour and a half and mainly be 30 minutes in the edit. So editing it down, making it punchy, doing the research, Getting the guest, like, it's hard as well. Like, it's a whole sales process to get a good guest, actually. Like, finding who would be a good fit, making sure we're prepared. And we chat with amazing people and build relationships with amazing people. And then you go away and do often four rounds of edits yep. um, and cut it down. And we often even cut out ums and ahs and, you know, make them sound oh, all um, kinds of things. You know, really, really, really polished. And that's why you get a great punchy podcast with customer experience is because of the effort pre and then post. And the final thing that I'll say is I have become a better speaker and far better at listening because I've had to be on a podcast. So, like, (laughs) I've always been, like, relatively articulate and, you know, good in building relationships and conversations and things like that. But it's another thing when you're having to talk on air and also, like, if you actually listen to some of the first episodes, like, I'm interrupting them all the time and, like, you know, like, I'm just kind of winging it. You were horrible at the start. You're a great speaker, but you just weren't a great interviewer. Yes. And it's a different skill, very, right? Very, very different. And so, you wanted to get your viewpoint heard yeah. because you're like, I know the answer to this. <laughs> uh, and so, you were, like, kind of jumping in and you Or wanted it. to riff on it or whatever exactly. it may be, yeah. It's actually quite hard to know when to let the talent riff on their own and when to kind of interject to get a funny moment right. or when to redirect to yes. get them back on track when they're going on a tangent that's going nowhere. Oh, man. Like, I've got a whole new sense of appreciation for, you know, good interviewing techniques. And when I see good interviews, I'm like, wow. Like, yeah. And ultimately, it boils down to they have firmly shone the spotlight on that person yeah. and gotten insights and driven an amazing conversation that wouldn't have been possible unless they were you know, a great interviewer. We get a lot of feedback and, you know, fan mail uh, where people give us lovely compliments about the show, you know, which is fantastic. And one of the, the common themes is that we just run great conversations with people. And, you know, I think to sort of round things out, 
great podcasts not only need good production and good guests, but you have to have a format where you're really diving into the heart of issues and probably most importantly for us, are walking away with some practical takeaways, which mm. is you know something that I really enjoy about our show because you can kind of have these nice conversations and go, oh, that was a nice chat, but what could you actually do now? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I think this format that we've come up with and, you know, working with you and the team at Wavelength have nothing but great things to say. It's been a wonderful journey. And so, you know, I look forward to, um, I look forward to the years ahead, Adam. You're a tough critic, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's good fun. <laughs> All right. With that, um, I think we'll wind up there. So, Michael, thanks for coming on the Customer Experience Leaders podcast. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, what another great episode. <laughs> but you always say that, Adam. So, is it really a great episode? Well, I don't know. Can I say no? <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of fun making this episode, kind of digging deep into Reddit's backstory and what you guys do and some of the learnings that you've had along the way. And, and there was some really wonderful takeaways. So, I think it'll actually be a bit of fun to go through our regular debrief segment where we sum up the, the takeaways from the episode. And I think I'll lead it and then maybe you can give us some special comments along the way. Yeah, sounds good. So, the first one that really shone through for me was this laser focus that Reddit and the whole team has on the end consumer. So, not just your customer, right. which is the, the, the business. I mean, you're a business to business company, but yes. you have this laser focus on the consumer that's actually interacting with your product and, and leaving the ratings. Yes. And... I think, you know, that shows up in a number of ways. The product has a lot of design aesthetics and, you know, that the colorful smileys really draw people in. But I think the real kind of takeaway point here is that, you know, you need to not just think about the person who's paying for it, but also all the other stakeholders in, in that journey as well. No, I think that's great. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that came through as a takeaway because it's certainly something that we've taken a unique approach relative to the survey industry. But we are seeing this at, at other companies in other verticals and other scenarios as well. Just as an example, I was listening to one of my favorite episodes by the Drift uh, guys called Seeking Wisdom. And, and, and one of their recent episodes, they spoke to the CEO from Lever and, and Lever is basically a recruitment CRM platform. And they said, we're a platform for the prospective employee. <laughs> so they built something to be a great experience for the prospective employee, even though that prospective employee is not paying for this yeah, sure. recruitment CRM platform. They wanted to make sure that that was, you know, a really great experience because then that will hopefully, you know, result in greater hires and things like that. But I suppose my point is like you can flip the model. So the second takeaway started with our conversation about the data and, and it's great that businesses are generating a range of verbatims and, and voice of customer data and feedback and ratings to help them improve their customer experience. But what was really important there is that you actually have to use it and put it into action. Right. And we've heard a lot about this on the podcast already with a couple of episodes previously. One in particular was our episode with Steve Hopkins from Culture Amp. Yes. There was this really big focus on acting. And so, whilst the data gives awareness, it's actually the action that is where the value lies. Um, and that's what generates better experiences, more loyalty and better value between you and your customer. Absolutely. <laughs> Nothing more to add. add you, uh, you summed that one up pretty well. You're joining our sales team, Adam. <laughs> All right. So, takeaway number three was about closing the loop. And this, I guess, comes down to action in, in a way as well. I mean, a lot of businesses are collecting data and they may even be starting to action it internally, you know, to fix broken right. experiences and, and you know, um, mend customer relationships. 
But I think what we often see is they never close that loop, go back and tell the customer that they've actually made the change. And so, because there's no visibility from the customer's perspective, they never know what's going on and they don't really realise that their feedback has been listened to and actioned internally. No, absolutely. And this is something that I'm really passionate about. I just think about the amount of times that I've even given feedback on a particular product. Even I once sent a a note to the LinkedIn team about something that annoyed me in their product. And they're like, oh, yeah, thank you so much for that feedback. Like, we actually spoke about it. And so, like, I felt great that they replied. But then I haven't heard anything since, right? So, like, you know, it'd be amazing if they sort of came back and went, actually, this is then what we did, even if it's seven months later. So, I think it's important to not only have a system in place to close the loop initially when you get that bit of feedback, but actually going back in the future to say we've made meaningful progress on the thing that you just told us about is huge. Takeaway number four. Now, this one was really that all businesses are people businesses. And I think fundamentally, we kind of all know this, but it was a really good reminder. And it was actually quite nice to see that the rated data also supports this. And so, The big takeaway for me here was that your people are so important and they're the ones that deliver experiences to the end consumer. So, really focusing again on hiring, training and supporting your staff. Absolutely spot on, Adam. And that's why we've heard it so frequently on the show, right? Like there's almost not a show that hasn't got an element of people or culture or training embedded in something to impact customer experience. And so, I think for me, the takeaway here is that if you're truly passionate about improving customer experience or even if you're like in a customer experience specific role, actually being tied really closely to the people and the culture and the HR and the training side of the business is going to be intrinsically very, very important. And actually having some hard conversations there as well because you need to start there and make improvements there to then be able to make improvements downstream to the customer experience. Yep, 100%. I could not agree more. And then little bonus takeaway here, a bit of a a meta, meta, meta point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. So, Mike, I've known you for a few years now and and I I knew the rated story in a broad sense, but it was really good to kind of understand, you know, the journey of you creating the product and what you guys have done along that path. But what really shone through for me through this discussion was, I guess it was this real drive of passion that comes from yourself and also from the team. And there was a line in the episode where you said it'd be great to be working with a brand like National Australia Bank, for example. But if not, you basically were saying that's okay. If they're listening to the podcast and they're getting value and if they're improving their customer experience as a result of the content we're putting out, then mission success. Like, And and we're really happy about that. And and you said, and this is the quote, we are truly purpose-driven. And it really shines through in the product that you you guys make with consumer centricity, with the way you interact with your customers, and also with the way we've developed this podcast and how we try and make that all about practical takeaways and, and make it really valuable for the end listener. All right, so a wonderful show with five great takeaways. The first one was remember to build experiences for all consumers of your product or service. Takeaway number two, ensure that you take action. Takeaway number three, close the loop on your customer feedback and tell them what you actually did about it. Takeaway number four, a nice reminder that all businesses are people businesses. And takeaway number five, don't be afraid to be truly purpose-driven. In fact, you should embrace it. 
Finally, I'll just say like this was a very indulgent episode <laughs> for me. So thank you for the idea, Adam. Adam said, hey, like I think we should do an episode where we talk about your story and your journey. So um, it felt very indulgent being interviewed, but I'm really glad that we got a chance to explore a little bit more behind the scenes and what it is that we do. And we just like to finish with a call out. If you love the show, feel free to connect with us. We're available on LinkedIn. We read and respond to every message. We love hearing from you. So we'd love to hear your thoughts about the show and anything else that we can do to continue to improve. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is produced by Rate It, a better way to listen to your customers. As you heard on today's episode, Rate It is the easiest and most delightful way for your customers to share their feedback with you. Their platform is trusted by brands like Adidas, Disney, and Aldi to help improve their customer experiences. So, to find out more, head to the website rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. This show is made in partnership with Wavelength Creative. This episode was produced by me and Christopher Lawson, who edited and mixed the episode. Our theme music is by Icolix. Peter Cooley and The Shrugs. Thanks for listening to this very special episode of Customer Experience Leaders. I hope it gave you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain and we had a lot of fun making it. I'm Adam Jaffrey. Until next time, we'll speak to you soon.